Today on the Show Me Institute podcast, Dr. Susan Pendergrass is joined by Patrick Tui, the Director of Municipal Policy at the Show Me Institute. They discuss special taxing districts in Missouri, their growth, the forms they take, and the lack of transparency that allows them to remain hidden. For more information about free market solutions to move Missouri forward, visit showmeinstitute.org. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass and Patrick Tui. So welcome, Patrick. I'm uh, really excited to talk about taxes today. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Everyone everyone's, everyone's favorite subject is that time of year. We're paying our taxes. Right. And I live in St. Louis, and um, I'm very conscious of like where I shop because I know that there's different tax rates, different places, but I'm not completely sure what the tax rate is in each of these places. But I also see that, um, you know, different types of development. I live in the Del Mar Loop. I've seen the trolley happening. I know that they're clearing a bunch of space in Midtown St. Louis for this thing called the Foundry. I read about other new interesting development projects that are coming. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, wow, some developers decided this is going to be a great idea for them and they're going to help the city. But um, that's not the way it actually is working, in fact. No. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. People see structures. They see activity. They think people are investing in my community, and they get excited about it. It's good news. But I often describe that as sort of uh, like getting a Valentine's Day card from your mother. You know, you, you <laughs> see it in the mailbox. It's a red envelope. You get really excited, and then you realize it's from your mom, and it doesn't really count. And a lot of times in Kansas City and in St. Louis, a lot of this development really doesn't count because we are using taxpayer dollars to subsidize private development. And if development were a good idea, uh, if these developers thought that they could get private capital and build something and make money from it, then that's a sign of a healthy economy. But if they say, well, we need free taxpayer money to make this work, then what looks like healthy development really is in just, uh, in fact, subsidized government spending. And equally, I feel like sometimes the government will think, well, look, no one's going downtown. We need to revitalize downtown. Right. We need to revitalize midtown. We'll we'll give a developer tax breaks to come in and build something new and shiny. And it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to go to the new and shiny thing or they're not going to go there for very long. Right. So two things happen. And, and first of all, the, the challenge here in St. Louis and in Kansas City aren't unique to these two cities. And I think, I think uh, local leaders should understand that. This is a challenge around the country, which is that people are leaving urban areas and they're moving out to the suburbs. And I don't know how much money it would take to spend in a particular city to change that broad trend. Uh, But yes, they do two things. So first, they dump an awful lot of money. Uh, One city councilman estimated we've spent north of a billion dollars trying to revitalize downtown Kansas City. Uh, They've done a great deal of uh, subsidized work in St. Louis. Can you name a couple of the Kansas City projects? Just, like, give me an example. Sure. Well, the entire downtown. So we built the new Sprint Center Arena, which uh, took a lot of the business, if not all the business, that went to the old uh, Kemper Arena. We subsidize uh, luxury high-rise apartment buildings. um, And we can talk about how we go about doing this. But uh, the Power and Light District is another example of of subsidies in downtown Kansas City. And then a, a number of corporate headquarters that we've subsidized and moved downtown. Just because there's a new opportunity to spend money doesn't mean there's any more money in your pocket. And so what happens in Kansas City and St. Louis and around the state of Missouri is we build these new things. It creates the illusion of new and different activity, but there's no more disposable income in anybody's pockets. We're just spending it in different places. It's a zero-sum game, except to shop at the new place, we have to pay 
some fraction of a cent in sales tax. Right. So that's that's what we want to talk about today. A few years ago, uh, governor of Missouri talked about how we're a low tax state. And oftentimes when uh, national foundations look at sales tax or income tax, they conclude <coughs> that Missouri's in the middle or near the bottom. And that's certainly true for the state-controlled rates. But what's happened in Missouri is we have a number of special taxing districts uh, uh, or opportunities to create special taxing districts. What's a special taxing district? So a special taxing district is is any kind of geographic area that collects a fee in addition to a city. So, for example, a fire district, right? You live in a particular area that has its own fire department. You might pay an additional tax. The ones that we're going to talk about today are community improvement districts, CIDs, or transportation development districts, TDDs. And those allow private businesses, private people to, let's say they have a shopping center, they agree among themselves to levy a, an additional sales tax to the people that shop there, and they use that money perhaps on the parking lot or, or uh, you know, on the sidewalks or on the off-ramp from the highway. There are an awful lot of these taxing districts around the country because the standards <laughs> to create them and to monitor them are very, very low. In fact, a, a recent paper from the Tax Foundation found that there are about 10,000 special taxing districts across the country. 1,200 of them are in Missouri alone. We're second only to Texas in the number we have, and that's because they're really easy to create, and the numbers of special taxing districts in the last few years have just skyrocketed. So we like them. Be so, and is it because you're kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes? Because I think I live in or near one at the Del Mar Loop, and I know that there's an additional sales tax, but I also know that a lot of businesses have closed because it, it, it just makes them look more expensive. You know, when you go out and go shopping, you might compare... Um, tax rates. Certainly we know if we cross state line or we cross into different mm. cities or counties, tax rates can be different. But CIDs and TDDs can be just around a shopping center. It can be really micro-targeted. The state auditor did a report of these CIDs and TDDs and found that, for example, um, while the law requires that you notify the person that they're paying an additional, say, 1% sales tax at the point of sale. Like a sign. Right. Okay. Um, they don't do that. And so you and I can shop around. I've never seen one. Right. You and I can shop around for prices on clothing or food, but we rarely look at what the tax rate's going to be. And tax rates can vary dramatically mm -hmm. right across the street from each other. And, and I think people are getting more and more used to that. Um, there was an effort to create a CID around a grocery store in my neighborhood, and there was a petition drive to stop it because people are just tired of paying so much more in sales tax Uh and you end up with these like kind of little high tax pockets. And yeah, Kansas I, City, it, it's over 10% in some areas. You have to be looking carefully at the fine print on your receipt to realize. And um, it doesn't say anything on there that it's a CID, right? It just. No, uh, oftentimes they don't kind <clears> of um, <throat> itemize what the various taxes uh, are that you pay. I think that would be a great solution if you kind of got this, the, the, the CVS length uh, a receipt that listed all those various tax rates. Um, but they're very easy to create, so they're very attractive for a developer or a business owner. And part of the reason, and this is part of the reason why the auditor's report was critical of them, is because you can create a CID around your shopping center without a vote of the people. You say you, like me, it, the owner of the shopping center, can exclusively by myself yes. just say, uh, I'm the only one, you don't have to live there, the owner owns Correct. it. I'm the only one affected by this, so I've decided I will simply impose it. And then, do I have to do? Do I have to use that those tax dollars to create like public goods, like roads and parking lots, or can I just use them inside my building? So, well, that's a great question, and 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 
the answer should be, and in some cases is, yes, you have to spend it on, you know, community improvements, the CI and CID. But, gosh, that is uh, seemingly less and less enforced. The Intercontinental Hotel, which is a luxury hotel on the Country Club Plaza in Kansas City, Missouri, Mm -hmm. recently had itself declared blighted, and I'm using air quotes there, Mm -hmm. um, so that they could collect a 1% community improvement district uh, to collect a 1% sales tax, forgive me, in addition to their uh, room rates. And that money was used on internal repairs, right? Their garage, the carpeting, they cited some of the wallpaper was peeling in, in bedrooms. And so you end up with a situation where a you know community improvement district uh, legislation, right, or ability is being used for private businesses to better themselves. They could have just raised their room rates 1% and collected that amount of money, but that would have shown up on their, you know, hotels.com page. Exactly, right. Uh, that would have been a competitive disadvantage. And and I wonder about this part. Had they raised their room rates 1%, they would have had to pay an income tax of some sort, a corporate tax on that additional income. I don't know that they have to pay any kind of tax on money they collect through below a tax. Below the line. Right, right, it's like below the... And so what happens in Kansas City? There was a story, I believe, in the Kansas City Star, the Business Journal, which all the other hotels in Kansas City said, wait, if... Can we do that? And they said, if this guy gets to do it, we're going to do it too. I mean, it's taxation without representation in its like purest form, right? All of a sudden, you're, you're paying 10% tax at the grocery store. and the, Or I don't know about food. It's a little bit different, right? But at Target, you're paying 10%. Sure. And then uh, a month later, you're paying 12%. And if you're like so many people are on fixed income, especially seniors on fixed incomes, and all of a sudden, a bigger chunk of your uh, right. Your target bill is going to taxes without you even knowing that the change took place. No, that's right. And then, and then of course, it's death by a thousand cuts because sure. it's like, oh, well, it's just one-eighth cent sales exactly. tax here. And it's, it's just three cents. What, what's the problem? And then before you know it, uh, we have legislators introducing bills to say, let's cap the aggregate sales tax at 14%. Oh, my God. And you have the cities saying no. They don't want to. Well, no, they, because this is, their, this is what they use, right? Right. So it's like it's frustrating because um, at some point we uh, we don't know when taxation is too high. We kind of have an idea right. that at some point people are going to be char- chased outside of the county or outside of the state. But tax rates now are, are 10, 11 percent in parts of Kansas City. And it's really creating a incentive for people to pack up and leave. And I think that's what we're seeing in our bigger cities. And especially when you look at, like, Laclede's Landing in St. Louis is now sort of defunct, mm-hmm. right? And then Ballpark Village, I don't know what the lifespan will be. The Foundry, I don't know what the lifespan will be. Because, again, that targeted, that targeted, if you build it, they will come approach has not been proven to be effective in most um, cities, particularly in the middle of the country. So, so it's like almost throwing the money away. And it used to be in your downtowns, uh, you would think, gosh, we've, we've made this investment Maybe there's some economic activity, and so businesses in the future won't need a subsidy. But that's not what happens. The businesses come along and say, I want what you gave the other guy. Sure. Right? The, the hotels in downtown Kansas City said, oh, the Intercontinental could create a, a 1% CID? Sure. I want the same thing. <laughs> and so you end up with uh, kind of these structures that were built on tax dollars, and it creates an incentive for people not to visit because it's just so expensive. I want to make sure I say that you do have a paper forthcoming that will be yeah. at showmeinstitute.org. That summarizes how many twelve hundred. So there are, yes, there are thousands of special gives taxing the districts. details on this. So like we're talking at it about it at a pretty high level, but gives the details on how these things actually get formed, 
um, what they're how they're regulated, how long they can last, where they are, and and some examples. And it's a it is a fascinating paper. It's a long paper. Yes. It has a lot of information and, and, and in the paper. And that's the goal here because we find in St. Louis and Kansas City and again around <laughs> the state that people are generally aware of this type of stuff and they maybe read about it in the paper but I don't think they know the extent that it's a problem. And it's certainly a problem in Kansas City and St. Louis but developers in the rest of the state have kind of figured out that there's some money to be had here and so it's Are they becoming, doing it in uh, outstate Missouri? Yeah, it's becoming more and more popular. Okay. Uh, the, the urban areas are basically the leaders, but as developers go out and say to these guys, you know, we can pay for part of this project, and it, it's not going to cost the city anything, and it won't cost us anything. We'll be able to stick it to the to the to the shoppers. So it explains the problem. I think it it helps people understand that no, you're not crazy. This is a thing you've noticed it in your neighborhood, but it's statewide. And our goal is really to let legislators know that here's the scope of the problem. Um, and that the auditors uh, have wrestled with this. There needs to be more transparency. And and part of the problem, too, is it's very difficult to research because of, of transparency. Some, uh, uh, sp- some special taxing districts report <coughs> to the auditors. Some do not. And, um, and, and the ones that are required aren't always faithful in, in their reporting. So, you mean it's required and they don't do it? Yeah, sometimes How it's required. That? Well, they just they're just late filing their paperwork. Oh, okay. I mean, like anybody kind of filing their taxes, they 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 can maybe wait a year or two or three. So then, how do we fix it? Well, there are a, a number of opportunities. I'd love to see a, an outright tax on kind of aggregate sales tax and let cities what, kind of manage. What do you mean? So, for example, maybe whether it's CIDs and TDDs or city county sales tax or state sales tax, you are capped at a hard fourteen. Oh, a cap. Yeah. yeah so that you can't get above that. And then bring that back down to a reasonable 12, level, 12, yeah. 10, you know. <clears throat> um, I, would like, uh, I would like CIDs and TDDs to require a public vote uh, to be set up. I would like to have them required to file uh, their officers, their expenses, their revenue, what they're spending that on. I would like to be able to say you've finished the project for which you were created and so now you're done. Um, I like the sign thing, too. Yes. No, absolutely. That You're going to pay a 1% uh, a tax here, or, or 1% of your tax is going to uh, to this business. Um, my colleague, uh, Graham Renz, who uh, worked on this paper with me, uh, thinks that maybe uh, they shouldn't be able to charge a sales tax at all, that maybe a CID or a TDD should just be able to collect a property tax, right? So that is the landowners pooling their own resources rather than sticking it to the shopper. Now, of course, property tax is part of the cost of business, and part of that will go on the, the to the price of products. But that, I think, is much more honest. CIDs and TDDs basically allow governments to pass the power of taxation onto private business, and, and, and I think that's not respecting the power to tax. And there's nobody to held, be held responsible, right? Because everybody along the line could say, well, I just have one-eighth, so then. Well, I just have 1%. Right. And the county could say, well, I'm just responsible for this part, but the aggregate is too much. Yeah, and sometimes I think, like, do I want to spend the gas to drive all the way out, to not pay the tax? Like, so I'm doing these trade-offs in my mind that I don't think um, make a lot of sense, especially in such a small area that the tax rates vary so much. It's been great to watch my daughters discover this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because as they kind of figure out their own view of government and their own relationship to it, and they go to the store to buy candy, and they realize that $5 worth of candy does not cost $5. Right. It right. costs more than $5, and they don't have the change. They're like, taxes are high, and and I will tell them, well, that's the, you know, some would say that's the price of civilization. But they're learning that if they go, 
to a different location, they can save some of that money. And so it's been a great education, a great civics education for them. It's just really bad policy, and, and sixth and seventh graders can understand that. Why do you think Missouri likes it so much? I think More than other states. Uh, I think Missouri likes it because maybe you've got a legislature that really is itself um, the hawkish on taxes, uh-huh. but has allowed uh, has has allowed through has allowed a backdoor and has allowed through kind of vague language. So this is what happens with economic development subsidies too. We have terms in the law that are so vague that Kansas City and St. Louis looks at them and says, "Oh, we can drive a truck through these loopholes." Like blight. Right, exactly like blight. And so uh, I think that's part of the problem is permissive language that has allowed uh, cities to kind of uh, run amok. Well, I know you're going to keep working on this and um, and talking about it, and maybe the legislature will do something responsible and get a handle on it. But, again, you've got a paper at showmeinstitute.org that lays this out in detail with Graham Renz. I would encourage people to take a look at this paper and – and send us examples of CIDs and TDDs in their own community. A lot of times uh, people will reach out to us and say, you know, I think I'm paying too much tax here. What's going on? Or we'll send a news clipping. There's an awful lot of it in this paper. But what I would love to be able to do is start cataloging the extent of it and go to the legislature and say, these things exist and they're not reporting in a consistent manner. The auditor has already given us a heads up. But this should really be a statewide effort. And really the first call is just for transparency. Sure. Let's at first tally up all this, and uh, and then we can look later about is reform necessary. Well, thank you. Very it's much. been my pleasure. Super Thanks so much for uh, having me here in the uh, the pod pit in the Show Me Institute um, basement. You're gonna make everyone jealous if you start <laughs> talking about the pod pit.